Well, hello. Thank you for joining us. Yes, we're chatting about pets. It's Pet Chat. Hello, Cheryl Shaw, Dr. David Tabret. Lovely to see you both. Thank you. It's lovely to, to be you. here. Yeah. David, you look like you're on holidays here with this groovy kind of shirt on. I'm just trying to match with you guys. I'm trying <laughs> to keep up with the 2NUR crew. You, yeah. So I feel relaxed. You feel relaxed. When I'm here. Excellent. That's what we want. Mm. And we want you at home to feel the same. So if you're feeling a bit anxious, you've got a question about one of your oh. pets, Dr. David Tabrick can probably we help can, out with that. We can take away some of that anxiety, hopefully. We certainly can. Mm-hmm. Now, Cheryl, you're our brooch lady, and I've seen this gorgeous one before. You have. You've got the little birds mm-hmm. with the little nest. It must be the national bird count we're talking about. Oh, Sarah, you're on the ball today. <sighs> a plus for me today. It's happening right now, the National Bird Count. I was at Smith's Lakes uh, on Monday visiting my auntie and uncle. And I tell you what, Cheryl, some people get right into it. They've got the big camera set up um, with the t- telescope out the window. So anytime a bird comes past, it captures the birds. Like oh, wow, they are. that's wonderful. <laughs> Nerd alert. But, yeah, that's, that's my family for you. So, um, no, it's fantastic. On a serious note, I really do think it's fantastic. It is. So we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes. Great. On 2NURFM. Cheryl, we certainly hear more and more of it each year. We're talking about the National Bird Count, but for people who don't know, what is this? Okay, well, it's held every year and it's been going, this is actually the sixth year that it's been happening. So what happens, the um, the BirdLife Australia, which is a non-profit organisation for conserving um, bird life, they invite people all over Australia to participate in counting birds. Now, it's not just in your own backyard. Certainly, you can do it in your own backyard, but you can do it anywhere. You can go and look along the, the beaches, the lakes, so you're, you're looking at seabirds there, but in ovals, parks, schoolyards, you know, even here at the university, this campus has got so many birds. So many. Oh, it really has. So what you do, you, you get involved by counting or um, listening to the bird calls and recording what they are. So what they ask you to do is to go on site and register um, and go and download so you understand exactly what is um, expected of you. And David, you've actually been doing some of this, haven't you? Yes, this is my second year participating. So I got my app it's on my phone. Oh, yeah, you're a nerd alert too. This is great. They've counted over a million birds already, though. Sarah, you're going to be in trouble. Oh, I know. If you start calling anyone who's got an app on their phone a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it with love. Our listeners have got the two in your R app, I hope. Of course of they course. do. I've got plenty of apps me, myself. But I, I'll put my hand, I'll own the nerd label yeah. on this one. Okay. Because it's a great initiative. It is, because that guide actually shows you what birds are what. I know. So a lot of people, they worry because they go, well, you know, I'm not a n- nerd. Um, they're novices. I don't, they're novices. There you go. They're novices. They don't recognise the birds. But Cheryl, this app fixes, that it solves does. that for you. It does. And it's so important that people get involved because we're changing our um, environment so much. I mm. mean, with development, also the drought. The drought's having a big impact on where birds live. And we want to know what birds are living with us. And interestingly, last year, or for the last few years, not just last year, do you know what the most common sighted bird was? Mm, don't say it was like an Indian miner or something. No, and we probably expect that that would be mm. what it is, but it was actually the rainbow lorikeet. Oh, now, rainbow yes. lorikeets, and part of the reason that they think the rainbow lorikeet is becoming more noticeable is because a lot of us are planting more native trees. So mm. we're getting away from that European you know, planting. We're getting a lot more natives because they can cope better with our weather. 
That is so interesting because I did do one checklist this week so far, and I know you're going to talk about how people can do that. But of the 24 birds that I saw, 10 were rainbow lorikeets. Really? Yes. Wow, isn't there that There you great? go. They're quite noisy, you know. They're so beautiful, They're beautiful. though. I, yeah. I love them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, for people to get involved, it doesn't take a lot of effort and you only need to count for 20 minutes. Now, David, you know the actual um, landscape of where they got to, um, how far they can look or right. and standing still, I believe. Well, yes, you should do the count within a, a relatively small area, around about 150 metre radius. So where I did it um, was in a... A reserve okay. behind some houses where I live and it's about 100 by 200 metres, lots of trees. And so as I walked through the reserve um, and st- had to stand there for a little while to let the 20 minutes run out, but that was okay, um, and the birds just come by. So do you log them on the app as you see them? Mm, so when yeah. you see the rainbow lorikeet, you get on and you, you know, you're putting the data in as it occurs? Well, the thing is that you don't don't want to count the same bird twice. Yeah, that, okay. that might stump me a little. Yeah. So, you know, the lorikeets kind of fly in and out. Yeah, they're hard. So they're, you've got to make sure you're not going, oh, there's 15 of them because um, it might be. Well, you did say you counted 10. Are you sure it wasn't absolutely. a busy bird? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. I could see them all. Oh, okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So, And there's some advice on the website, Cheryl, about That's counting. Right. Yeah. And you know what? Last year we were talking about those rainbow lorikeets. They actually recorded 305,000 lorikeets. That is wow. huge. And 77,000 people took part across Australia. So, you know, it's not just us talking here on the station. It's right across Australia. So getting involved is so important because this is the um, like a major... Um, community involvement, if people can get behind it and just see what birds are there. And at the moment, we've got springtime, so we've got a lot more young birds, you know, coming out, those fledglings that are there. We've also got the visiting um, cuckoos. I don't know if anybody else is experiencing the noise of them, but um, certainly the, you know, the channel-billed cuckoos, Mm -hmm. they are really coming back to collect their babies. So, again, we've got those happening. At my place at night time, it's incredible. The mopokes are really noisy, you know, the tawny frog mouse making their mopoke noise. I don't know when they get time to eat because they're just constantly it's the, calling. It's the plovers that are waking me up really early in the morning. Well, Sarah, yeah. there you go. You'll be able to go out and count them. It, look, it is honestly a great thing. And as we know, over the last few years, we are more concerned about our native birds and the fact that they are getting pushed further and further in uh, because of all the other birds. So it's this is where we get our data from. So it is, if you've got the time, it's something that you really should do. And the website's quite easy. It's aussiebirdcount.org.au. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. And then you just download the app. And uh, we said that there's actually a guide that if you don't even know the bird, you don't have to know the species, but it's, it gives you the shape of the bird, asks you the size, what are the colours, and then it gives you three or four birds Different to options, choose from yeah. with a photo, and you just can touch whichever one it is. That's cool. And it then is. you count the birds, and then when you've finished your 20 minutes and there's a timer on it, you just press submit. What if you just discover a new bird, a new species? How what would we call it? Well, I don't know. The David Tabret one, if you found oh, it. Oh, I didn't find it. I thought you found it, Sarah. <laughs> no, of course not. It might be the nerd bird. <laughs> the nerd bird, yeah. If anyone's going to find it, it's my uncle with his, you know, set up specially ready for it. Farley um, nerdy eye. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Uh, oh, Cheryl, thank you. And uh, for anyone wondering, 1,290,944 birds have been counted thus far. 
Oh, wow. we've been busy, Australia. Yeah, yeah. and Keep we've got counting. till Sunday. It finishes on Sunday, National Bird Day Sunday. That finishes then. So Just need 20 minutes. Yep. Yvonne in Lovedale, you've got a question for Dr David Tabret about your toy poodle. Yes, I have, Sarah. Thank you. Hello, David and Cheryl. Hi. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Um, look, I know it's not about birds, but my yard's full of birds and bird feeders and boxes and everything, <laughs> so I'm all organised there. However, I have a little toy poodle, and she's eight years old. Now, she chews or licks her feet all the time. It's annoying. Can I put bandsuck or something safe on her feet to stop her doing it? Sometimes with uh, birds, that, uh, birds. Sometimes with dogs that have have these habits, um, we can, particularly if they're self-traumatizing, we can look at putting things on their feet to try and stop them. So some people will put socks on them, or bandages, or like the the bitterant um, sprays and things like that. But um, the longer term success comes from addressing the underlying cause for the itchiness. And for a lot of these little dogs, there's an underlying allergy. Now, in some of them, it's a contact allergy where they're actually walking on, for instance, different types of grass um, can actually induce this. And some dogs will actually show up with allergic responses in their feet due to inhaled um, pollens and things like that. So that kind of complicates things for you because you think, well, okay, if he's breathing it in and that's how this pollens and the allergens are getting into the system and it's showing up in his feet where do i have to treat the problem and you know like most allergies for people and things like that there is medication uh there's anti-allergy antihistamine type medication um and in certainly for dogs that have got contact allergies where they're walking on uh wet grass and we find some dogs they're worse for instance if the grass is seeded okay Um, and we would always recommend if their dog goes outside is you wipe their feet down with a moist or a damp cloth um, mm. whenever they come in just to remove some of that protein off their feet, some of the allergens. Um, but the other side of the coin, as I was saying, there is medication. So bathing them regularly with uh, medicated shampoo, antihistamine medication, and then a lot of these dogs do very well, and particularly around that age, eight years is a good time to do it, is to look into uh, allergy vaccination and and testing for, you know, what are the what are the different pollens and so on. And unfortunately, most of our pets who have this problem, we find out they're allergic to v- pretty much everything. There's so many different things, um, and so that's why we sometimes see people say, "Oh, they were, you know, they're allergic in this." place where I lived and then I moved up 200 kilometers and none of those trees are around and now they're allergic again and it's just because that's how their immune system reacts so uh, uh. you probably need to speak with your vet about the medication and possibly about the testing and it's certainly worthwhile you know looking into that okay I will also I thought of um do I uh, bathe her feet in like uh, water with a bit of vinegar in it would that help um if we're worried about yeast in their on their feet, and that's certainly something that can cause that, certainly, you know, vinegar and water would probably reduce that. Um, but I would suggest using a medicated shampoo that'll actually do their feet. But then you can do them all over because they might be getting contact with other parts, like their under their groin and under their tail, um, you know, their armpits. And it's only just because the feet are a bit closed in and they're easy to lick that they're, that's where the problem shows up. 
Another thing with that, Yvonne, is um, do you get your dog's feet shaved like a poodle, the really short poodle feet? Yes, I do. She has a haircut and her her feet done, yes. Sometimes after they are clipped, if they're too short, the dog will actually lick them more. So Mm -hmm. it may be a better idea not to have them cut too short, just as, you know, you could test this out to see whether it does actually reduce the irritation to her feet after she's Mm. clipped. Yes, that's true, because I have found after she's clipped... She's licking more, yes. Mm, So it could be a little bit of irritation just after, you know, a little bit like when you have a Brazilian. (laughs) Oh, dear. dear, Thanks very much, Yvonne. And let's go to David uh, in Western. Hello, David. A question for Dr David Tabret about your dog. Yes, good afternoon. Um, I've got a a little, um, well, she's not too little. Uh, She's a Kelpie Collie. Cross, very active dog, just loves chasing balls and things. Um, we were away camping a couple of weeks ago and she kept licking her front paw and I thought she had a burr or a, something between her paws, um, but she, she wouldn't let me touch it. Every time I tried to get anywhere near it, she'd help and pull away. So I took her to the vet about uh, 10 days ago and he checked her and said she'd pulled the outside um, claw on her front left foot mm-hmm. uh, it's still in place um, he said it would fall out I guess they just grow a new nail like we do yeah. um, but it hasn't fallen out um, he gave her an um, antibiotic injection she's still very active she still runs like crazy and chases balls and returns them and jumps and does all that um, but she's still sort of just licking her paw does it take long normally to fall out um, we see this problem quite a bit so if you imagine our fingernail um, sits up on top of the finger well the dog's claw is basically the same as the fingernail but it actually wraps around the end of the finger the end of their toe so inside the the claw is actually some bone, which we call P3 or phalanx 3, uh, on the end of the claw or the finger, if you like. And so what happens is that where the uh, claw attaches to the skin is called a germinal layer. So depending on how badly it's pulled away, sometimes we have to completely remove it, which means then we've got a... um, uh, you know, an exposed piece of bone tissue and so on, um, and then the uh, claw can start to grow back. But sometimes we'll find it actually hasn't pulled away very much and we kind of want to leave it there to protect that underlying bone. It will eventually mo- uh, either dislodge or it will just grow out as normal. But the time period is about six months. So from the... The top of the claw to the bottom, it takes about six months to grow out. Um, Now, the big issue that depends on how this happened, but the big problem you get into is have we actually damaged the germinal cells at the base of the claw? So if anyone knows, you know, if you've got a nail bed injury, it can sometimes stick with you for years because those cells that produce the nail are damaged. And you'll see that come through. People get striations or lines or damaged nails and um, that's because the cells are damaged way back at the base and the same thing can happen with dogs so sometimes we'll see they'll grow abnormally they'll grow in a curly fashion or twisted or they just won't grow properly on that side and they can take ages and ages to grow like six to twelve months so 
Um, and it's really just balancing between, you know, how much of a bother is it for the dog? Do you need to have it removed? Um, eventually, I, there's not many that I've seen that haven't grown back, but unfortunately it just takes a long time. Um, the way I think to keep care of it or to help the dog is probably just some salty water. Um, and for, you know, I've said to people, I will make up a, like a ice cream container full of, um, boiled water that's cooled down a bit that you put, um, some salt into that'll actually help. And if you can't do that, cause a lot of dogs won't let you, you know, maybe going to the beach helps, but then you've got sand on it as well. So, um, unfortunately they do lick it. People ask me, should we put band- bandages on it? I find they just pull them off. So... It doesn't seem to worry her as far as running and jumping, and you yeah. know she's a very, very active dog. Um, but um, but as soon as she is, uh, you know, sitting on the veranda, she just sits there and licks at it. Yeah, this is you know while she's not thinking about it, it's fine. And as soon as she's sitting down, going, oh, what am I going to do now? Oh yeah, there's my foot, and it's right in front of me, and I'll just lick it and. There's not a lot you can do with that to kind of, like, as I said, you can put socks on them and things like that, but they generally pull them off. Um, giving them something else to do, like a chew toy, uh, a Kong, things like that, um, is probably a better way to try and distract them. And it will grow out. It will grow out eventually. Four nine two one six two one six is the number today if you've got a concern or a question about your pet. We have had a caller phone in just to let us know, just the random thought for the day, that when dogs rolled in smelly things, it dates back to a period when they were hunters. It helped them disguise their smell. Now, my dog does this. She finds other dog poo and rolls oh. in it. That's oh, terrible. Oh, that's <laughs> you, nice. You've seen my dog. Yeah, your dog Would you beautiful. call her a hunter? I know she's a meter. She's the hunted. Oh, yeah, she does. <laughs> oh, she's a lover, she's a bit not ro- a fighter. She's a roly-poly. She? she is a roly-poly. Mm. Yes, is that that's what they do, David? They still they still are going back to, you know, their ancestors where you've got to disguise yourself to survive? I don't know. Mm. I can't, My dog I, wouldn't. It, it makes sense. Your dog wouldn't. No. no. Oh, not Avalon. No. It makes sense, but um, I'm not sure. There's some homework reading. Interesting, mm. yeah. We're going to go to Anne now in Maitland. Hello, Anne. A question for Dr. David Tabret about your dog. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. My, my dog has a little bit of a bad breath, and I was just wondering what's the easiest and best way to sort that out. Um, and how long have you noticed this for, Anne? Oh, not oh, a little while. To be honest, we didn't really notice it, but some of our children have mentioned it to us. <laughs> we grow accustomed to it, I understand. <laughs> So, um, and what's her teeth are good? I'm sure it's yes. no infection causing it. Okay, what sort of dog and how old is she? She's a little staffy, about nine. Nine year old. Okay. Yes. Um, so bad breath comes from a lot of different causes. You're right, though. Looking at the mouth and teeth disease, but more importantly, gum disease is that actually the number one cause of this, and it's a it gives us a bit of a clue. So basically. The smell comes from certain types of bacteria that metabolize and produce gases in the mouth. And, um, you know, if those bacteria are present, then you will, even in small numbers, you will get this smell. Now, the bacteria aren't great to have around anyway, so they always end up causing a problem. So there's likely to be some pocket of area in the gum that could be causing this problem, even if it hasn't, you know, caused 
You, you don't have to see tartar. You don't have to see big clumps of stuff in there. Just the simplest thing that we do, and you can do this yourself at home, and anyone should be doing this with their pet all the time, is lift the lip and have a look on the, where the tooth meets the gum. It mm. should be evenly pink. And if you're seeing any redness, then that's a sign of inflammation and gingivitis. And that's mm-hmm. the very early stages. So the, the problem with teeth disease and gum disease is it starts underneath the gum in the sulcus between the tooth and the, the gum tissue, and that's out of sight. And it's only this line of redness that we see could be the first sign. Now, there is the other, there's a couple of other possibilities. So the other one is that sometimes we'll see disease in the tonsils. And so dogs are like people. They have tonsils, which are lymph tissue in the back of their throat, and sometimes they'll get an infection in there. And so you look in their mouth and you think, well, it stinks, but I can't actually see any of that redness that David was talking about, maybe there's something in the tonsils. Mm -hmm. That's another possibility. The other thing that we see is nasal disease, although most of these dogs will have either discharge from their nose or sneezing or head shaking, Mm -hmm. things like that. No, none of that. Yeah. And then after that, then I would be thinking about uh, the smell coming not through their breath but sometimes up through the esophagus from the gut. Right. Okay, and certainly diet can play a role, but, you know, dogs pretty used to eating lots of different things. So I would be worried that they're we – it's not like we see a gut infection that causes that, but sometimes they can have some gastrointestinal disease that, uh, you know, the first sign that you notice is halitosis, which is this awful smell. But certainly teeth first, tonsils, nose, and work your way down. Um, have a look for that red line and then after that go see the vet and see if they can find where the problem is. Now we've got Betty on the line from Wall's End. You've got a question about your staffy for David. Yes, I have. She's an American staffy. My, my son brought her home from um, the RSPCA. She's about 18 months old. She is a beautiful dog. She's staffy cross-border collie. Mm-hmm. And she's wonderful with children, other dogs, people. But... People shy away from her when we say she's an American staffie. We didn't know she was an American staffie at the time when Glenn picked her up. But um, if we Mm -hmm. any worries, do they turn violent? There's been so much publicity about American staffies. I was a little bit concerned. Mm. Well, first of all, you said that she's possibly bought a Collie Cross? Yes. So she's now bought a Collie Cross? Yes, that's what was on the papers. Yeah, we that, well, that's what I'd be calling her. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so, but there's, uh, there's, a, there's an interesting thing here is what you can do, um, if you go and speak to your vet, they can actually do a DNA test. And, oh, right. And you can find out the exact heritage of your dog. Oh, wow. Thank so you. What, I didn't know what, that. Yeah. It's very simple. All really? The, yeah, they just do... Um, now, I'm not sure whether it's actually a mouth swab or a blood test. But they can actually analyse and find out what are the breeds and, you know, the different percentage uh, of breed in the dog. Just remember, though, with regard to... And I know you're talking about other people's perceptions because your experience is one thing, um, is that... Uh, Each dog is individual, and whilst we do talk about various breed tendencies and personalities, we do know that the way that dogs um, behave is situational, okay? So we always talk about, um, you know, in regards to things like 
um, dogs biting and things like that is that we don't talk about the breed so much as um, what's happening at the time. And then there's the upbringing of the dog and how they behave could be related to that. And then, Oh, she gets a lot of love. <laughs> yeah, and then breed does play a bit of a role. But more importantly, it plays a role because of um, the strength of the dog. Okay, yeah. so perhaps that's where some of this stereotyping comes from is that we do know that, you know, certain breeds, they were bred for certain behaviours in the past um, and so they have strength in, say, their jaw muscles and things like that. And oh, she's strong. Hmm. Yeah, and I've always made the comment is that, you know, if we were going to ban or control breeds based on their frequency of biting and um, just so that people don't ring in, we're nearly out of time, right? So I don't want to upset <laughs> okay. too many people, but I've actually been bitten more often by chihuahuas than I have by oh, any, and, ger- and German shepherds than any other breed. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, she even broke up a fight between another two two other dogs, got in between them and broke them up. So. Oh, well, she's very brave. <laughs> she is brave, and she, but she just loves everyone and... Yeah. And I thought, well, we shouldn't have anything to worry about. She gets the best of care. Yeah, look, and I think it, it is wise, though, to pay attention to how other people behave, mainly because then your dog will sense their apprehension. And so you can't just simply say, well, she's great because she's great with us. Okay, so it's situational. So she would respond in different ways with other people. But, look, I'd even go down to the vet and say, you know, I want to get a DNA test and find out what's, what's in her background. Okay, thank you very much. Now, is this Val that we've got here? Sorry, buddy. Yes, it is. My hand line just dies out on me. Oh, quick, Val. Get your question <laughs> yeah, what's in. What's your question? I'm just curious. I've been feeding... I've got uh, two rescue dogs. One's a Cavalier. He's uh, seven, seven, nine. And the other one's a, a rescue dog, a little black pug, five. But what I'm giving them, grain-free brisket, uh, biscuits, right? What I want to know, how much raw... I'm giving them carrots, beetroot and sweet potato grated... And then going through it like a tornado. So anything else I can give them as, um, uh, what do you call it, root plants? Well, um, this is such a big topic. Uh, if we had a three-hour show, we might be able to touch oh, on well, it. Well, my phone won't last, so. but they don't have three minutes before. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's about all we've got left today. So let's just quickly break down some of this. First of all, diet is complex. Um, and we do need to be kept. Most of the stuff that we learn about diet in the public sphere is marketing driven and fads and things like that. So whenever, years and years ago, when I was in GP practice, we used to do dietary analysis. People would come in and they'd say, oh, I want to feed my dog this or here's what I'm feeding. And I would say, okay, you need to give me everything that you feed the dog written down and the amounts. And then we would actually analyze that through a computer program and work out exactly how much we're getting things like fiber, protein, carbohydrate, all the minerals, you know, is the calcium balance right, things like that. And the problem is, is that if you change one little thing, it affects everything else. So it is complex area. There are places you can go online. You can actually get a qualified nutritionist to yeah. analyze the diet yeah. um, and give you some advice. Just very quickly on some of those things that you mentioned, um, there's a lot of fiber in your diet. Um, and I would probably want to know a little bit more if I was looking into it in detail, you know, the protein and where we're coming from that. The other thing is that grain-free diets have been implicated in onset of heart disease, and this is quite a strong link. We don't know exactly 
how or why. It's probably to do with an amino acid in the in the um, food and or a blocking effect that's stopping the dogs absorbing the amino acid. But these are some of the things that are concerning. So, as I said, it's complex, and I would say um, if you there is a couple of services. Um, I think there's one in Australia and there's one in New Zealand which will actually analyse the food and whatever food you're giving. You can send that off to them and they'll say, you're good or here's what you need to add. Um, and you can't, can't you just um, buy dog food as well? Don't they balance those so, pretty well these days? Yeah, and a lot of people are concerned. I know I'm, making, about, I'm simplifying no, that. that yeah. but. So I'll just very quickly, my dad used to breed and show dogs and every time I'd go up to see him, he'd be cooking up something and he's going, I've got this broth and I'm doing this and I'm adding this and I'd say, Dad, you, you could just feed them good quality dry food yeah yeah and and go with that and 99.9 percent of the time you're going to be fine yeah um and obviously when we do get problems then we can look into it definitely but, you know kept him busy <laughs> well, that, well that's right and i mean if people have got the time and they want to do mm. that extra for their for their pets that's a great thing as well i know he'd spend four hours cooking for the dogs and microwave himself dinner <laughs> It just shows who, you know, it shows the hold they've got on us, doesn't it? I know. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Now, we did have Mick uh, on line three, but I, I think Mick's gone. He had a comment about DNA that we were talking about before. I did have a question, David. Is that um, a very expensive procedure to get done? Um, well, it's, I mean, expense versus value, but um, I, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you the cost. Yeah, okay. I don't, want, I don't want to venture it there because I work just in emergency yeah. work. We, it's not an area that we do, but I'm totally aware that people are getting it done. Um, just If you're just on that, though, you've got to be really careful that you get it done by a reputable place. Yes, right. Get your vet to do it. Don't do it through just a male thing. Or ancestors.com. Don't get them to do it. Well, I don't know about Someone's <laughs> Someone owns that website and now they're going to ring you. So. Well, I'm talking for pets. They don't no. do pets. But the thing is that you've got to get the right – because this is a quality control thing. All right. I think that's all we've got time for today. It's three away from one. We do have the news on the way in just a couple of minutes. And then Greg Richard will be in this afternoon. Cheryl Shaw, Dr. David Tabret, thank you both so much for coming in. Interesting, as always. Pet Chatted is back same time next week. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.